You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is the Classic Auto Mall Podcast. Broadcast from the studios inside the Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Yes, the Classic Auto Mall is a real mall. Just one hour west of Philadelphia at Pennsylvania Turnpike Exit 298. Featuring nearly 1,000 classic, vintage, and barn find vehicles for sale under one climate-controlled roof. Now, here's your host, Classic Auto Mall President and the man with all the toys, Stuart Howden. Good morning, listeners. Good morning, all here at Classic Auto Mall on this wonderful Friday afternoon. Thanks to the Pat Travers Band for uh, that intro, that wonderful intro. And catch them on tour if you get a chance. They're a great band, and they're all in their 70s now. <laughs> Speaking of that, Randy Meisner, founding member of the Eagles, passed away. I, I saw, that. saw that today. Oh, yep. no. I don't know when the last time he was with the Eagles, though. It's been quite a while since he actually performed with them. It's been years and years, so... Anyway, uh, I hate to hear that happen. So, um, and Mick Jagger turned 80, speaking of music and, <laughs> yeah. and, and aging. Jeez, 80 years old and still going. <laughs> still are they, going. They're touring yeah. again still, right? I think so. I, I got to imagine they are. What else are they going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Probably nothing. So, hey, um, 924 vehicles mm-hmm. in inventory right this moment. Is that crazy? Mm-hmm. We're getting, we're getting some great stuff in. And of course, we've got our upcoming auction, which we'll talk about here shortly. Um, September the 15th, which will be 125 cars, and uh, hopefully we'll sell a bunch of them. That's our goal is to kind of free up some space, to thin the herd, as mm-hmm. you have to say. Um, but anyway, uh did an event with a casino last weekend, was it? Yeah, last yes. Saturday, and uh, it was a great success. So Hollywood Casino Morgantown is here at the same exit as us, exit 298 in Morgantown off the Turnpike. And uh, we've been wanting to do some events with them, and we figure there's a lot of synergy between their customers and our customers. And so we finally did do one, and uh, it was uh, a great success. We had about 10 cars over there of ours and our truck and trailer and a food truck, two food trucks and a beer garden and a stage with a van, and it was 4 to 8 p.m. And they liked it so much, we're going to do it again August the 12th. Uh, we're going to take about 20 cards this time. So, oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, with live music, a beer garden, and food trucks, and it'll be 4 to 8 p.m. in the parking lot. Uh, Hollywood Casino Morgantown, you can Google them and find out their website for more information. I'm not sure who the band is. It's a local band that they have, That, uh, but they were. it was really, really well attended. Of course, they have a big mailing list. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine they don't ask for your email address when you walk in the place like no, we do. But if but you, but if you uh, well, that's our admission here. Their that's admission right. There is right. just go spend you know some money with us, and then we'll be happy. But no, if you're a member of their club, ah. then you give them your email address. Gotcha. So you get their little card, mm-hmm. win prizes and points, and different things like that. So, uh, but anyway, it was a great success, and uh, we're looking forward to a long and fruitful partnership with the Hollywood Casino Morgantown. And uh, hopefully do more events. And I think we're going to have a car on display over there in their lobby. Excellent. So how cool would that be? Say, hey, hit the slot machine mm-hmm. here, and you win a 1969 Camaro. With the velvet ropes around oh, it? Oh, yeah. Like Vegas style. <laughs> nice. <laughs> a little Elvis cardboard cutout. With oh, there, a, there you go. You could do a Cadillac or something along sure. those lines, right? So uh, anyway, um, some of the 
Where do we sell cars to? Where did you sell My cars goodness. to? Thanks for asking, Steve. Always. How about Clinton, North Carolina, Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, Hamburg, Pennsylvania, Newark, New York, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Bentonville, Virginia, Reno, Nevada, Marco Island, Florida, Chester Springs, Pennsylvania, Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, Sacramento, California, Marion, Massachusetts, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Jacksonville, Florida, Pulaski, Wisconsin, Colorado Springs, Colorado, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. That's where we sold cars last week. Wow, amazing. Yeah, how many different states is that? Ten? Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, see, I'm so nice. Say. Although I may have checked ahead of time, so <laughs> counted and done that. But yeah, it's funny. Uh, last, was it last week or two? Yeah, t- two weeks ago, or the last, in the last two weeks, we sold like three cars out of country. Mm-hmm. Uh, one to Chile, one to Great Britain. Belgium was the other Belgium one. Belgium mm-hmm. was, was the other one. I don't think we've ever sold a car to Belgium before, so. And the the buyer, you help. We help arrange the, the yeah. shipment of that. So what happens is, is, if you're an overseas buyer, then normally the car will go to one of the ports, either Baltimore or Newark mm-hmm. or somewhere close to here. That's relatively easy to get a car there, and all the paperwork goes with the car. So the title and the bill of sale oh. and everything has to go with the car because they do some kind of vetting of it and whatever they need to do sure. in order to send it. So if you if you buy a car from overseas. You gotta make sure that you have all the, your T's crossed and your I's dotted because it can be kind of a daunting task and it, we make it easy by doing, you know, most of the legwork for you. The only part we don't do is pay for it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's on you. But it happens all the time I and mean, we're, we're importing stuff from, from Europe. Yeah, absolutely. Too. Absolutely. Not and us, but not, people do. But people do. And mm-hmm. lots of cars cross the pond. I mean, whether mm-hmm. it be for a, uh, an event over in Europe that you might a rally over there or a, the Goodwood Festival of Speed that goes on. A lot of guys take their cars from the USA to, to, uh, Great Britain and other areas. And it's amazing. I mean, the cost, to send it over there and back is probably going to be around six thousand dollars, and mm-hmm. man, you know that's just to take your car over for fun. Sure, <laughs> it's not like you could win a prize that would equal the amount of the cost of the thing. You just you know you you love the car hobby so mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. that you send your car over there. And another one is the London to Brighton run that a lot of guys do. Any nineteen oh four or older car, nineteen oh four or older, wow. not newer, yeah. Older is eligible for the London to Brighton run. And there's guys that send cars over there every year. Yeah. And, you know, that's not cheap. And then you get over there and you've got a one-cylinder car going up a hill on the London to Brighton run. <laughs> that's, you know, uh, it makes for an interesting trip. I think it's 60 miles or something that uh, you go. <laughs> and it's and it can be interesting, obviously. So, um, But anyway, that's where we sold cars to um, this past uh, week. And talking about our auction, September the 15th. Uh, it'll be start at 11 o'clock here. That's a Friday. 11 a.m. we'll start with some memorabilia. And about noon on September the 15th, we'll start with our 125 cars in our auction. Mm-hmm. We're going to limit it to that many cars. And, um, you know, hopefully, like I said, we'll sell, you know, 80 or 90 cars in here. And that would be fantastic. And, you know, obviously, uh, that's the whole goal of it. And it's another way, you know, to, uh, indoctrinate, if you will, our clientele. Some of them don't know a lot about selling or buying at auctions. And, you know, we want to be kind of the, the helper in that. Mm-hmm. And let them know the process. And if you have any questions on how to do it, you can always email us. And, you know, the bidding part of it is not as complex as you think it is. You know, just raise your hand until you're 
out of money. Right. <laughs> I want to remind people there is a six minute video on YouTube that explains everything, all the fees and, and statistics, not statistics, all the, all the di- uh, dynamics and the dynamics, yeah. What to do. Yeah. How's the selection process going? The selection process is going excellent. We've got a couple of cars that, uh, uh, we're highlighting this week that we've got coming to the sale. One is a 1930 Rolls Royce Phantom II oh, wow. dual Cal Fayette. Mm-hmm. That's a little mouthful. Always. Cream and brown over saddle. And, uh, this car is in our front showroom right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, beautifully done body. I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. And, uh, you know, this is one of those cars that you talk about collectible. I mean, just anything 1930s, you know, 1936 and older in Rolls-Royce and mm-hmm. Packard mm-hmm. and Duesenberg are just highly collectible cars. They're just like more, they're more like works of art than they are sure. uh, uh, anything else. And, uh, this one has got beautiful paint job on it. Um, it's basically a one-off. Now, this car started out as a Sedanka DeVille. <laughs> I have no idea what that <laughs> Open chauffeur cockpit uh-huh. and enclosed rear passenger. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so the chauffeur just sits out in the rain <laughs> with his little hat. And you know what's funny is these old cars, the leather and seating material was in the front and the cloth was in the back, oh. which would be the exact opposite right, now right. because leather is the premier. Yeah. Although, remember, people used to always complain about leather. You know, it's cold. It's hot. Leather adapts to your body temperature quicker than cloth. Interesting. Yeah. So, back, how do I know these? Back then, though, the cloth was it. The cloth was it. Right? Well, it was like mohair, oh, which right. is like a wool sweater <laughs> or wool sweater underwear. Fancy. <laughs> yeah, very nice. So, so this car was a Sedanka DeVille. Uh, it logged over 100,000 miles uh, in that configuration. And then it was converted to a hearse. And logged another thousand miles, oh, right. hundred thousand miles, and then it was in, uh, converted to a, a caravan, which was, had like four rows of seats. <laughs> and it took passengers to Moscow. It toured China. It another hundred twenty thousand miles, and at the three hundred twenty thousand mile mark, it was rebodied as a dual cow. Holy mackerel! So there is quite, a history of quite this a history. <laughs> yes, there is, and you know it's it's interesting because. A lot of times you don't know the history of a car. You'd love to know it. Mm-hmm. You know, you love it when you open up the trunk of the car and there's a whole box of stuff in there that tells you everything about the car. We just got a 47 Pontiac Torpedo in. Mm-hmm. You know, just a, uh, not a high dollar car. It had every piece of documentation that came with the car. It had the original window sticker. It had the original bill of sale. It had the original registration. It had the original owner's manual. It had everything. And that's the kind of stuff that we love to mm-hmm. see. Also coming up in the auction is the 1928 Stutz Boattail Speedster. Tan and brown over brown. It's got the inline eight with a three-speed manual. It actually has leather seats all the way around. Right. Uh, 19-inch wheels, which were pretty big back in the day. Hmm. You know, you think about that 19-inch wheels nowadays. Um <laughs> And it was, uh, I think in its day, they were like $5,000. Which was huge money. Yeah. <laughs> that was not cheap. And, uh, it's got the, uh, some art deco detailing on it, the sun god hun ornament, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was kind of, it was lighter than the predecessor, it was the predecessor to the, uh, uh, or, or the follow-up to the Bearcat. That's mm-hmm. Bearcat, uh, which was a well-known kind of racing car with this, Round monocle windshield. You know, people on the radio can't see me. No, they, you're making a round symbol. 
Circle. Just picture a circle. <laughs> circle. Can you imagine a circle? If you could imagine a round, mm-hmm. equally... That's what the window, the front windshield was. <laughs> the windshield was, was like. Round. It was called a monocle, right? <laughs> oh. It was the same kind of thing that you mm-hmm. know, the guy would wear with his, you know, if he needed a reading glass and he just wanted to... Like Monopoly. Like the Monopoly, the Monopoly guy. guy. Yeah. <laughs> One little monocle that he would look through. I guess you... Would you close your other eye? I don't know. <laughs> but did it magnify? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know why I bring up stuff I don't know. I'm going to stop doing that. I got to get out of the habit of bringing well, up stuff. Well, we, we to. try to get people to let us know when we. Well, exactly. How about podcast at classicautomall.com? That's and right. You could give us the information and tell us what we do and don't know. So I'll be, I'll be sad to see this studs go. I love, it's been a nice, uh, yeah. It attracts a lot of people. The bow tail is very unique, obviously, and people love looking at it. And, sure. Um, uh, I hope it finds a nice home. And it was the fastest production car in the world and nearly mm-hmm. won Le Mans, uh, finishing second to Bentley in 1928. So isn't that pretty cool? So, yeah. So anyway, two great cars come now. Remember too that all the cars are not high dollar cars that are going to be mm-hmm. in the auction. We have some daily driver stuff. We've got a couple of Pontiac Solstices that are going to be nice. in the in the uh, auction. We have some some driver quality. So the price points are going to be all over the place. You know, these are higher dollar cars, obviously, mm-hmm. and they're kind of. Uh, you know, ones that attract attention more for the sale, but there'll be some cars that'll be some bargains. You know, we'll have some cars that are in the five to ten thousand dollar range. So about any price point that you want, um, we'll have uh, a car for you at the auction. So that's uh, September the fifteenth. You can go on our website now. The consignment forms and the bidder registration forms are on the site. Uh, admission is free, just to spectate, and so it's complimentary. We'll have box lunches for sale. Uh, mm-hmm. For the lunch uh, going on, catered by Ron's Bar and Grill out of uh, Exton or, or I don't know if that's Downingtown. I don't know what that's called anyway. It's hard to figure out the names of these towns around here. Everything <laughs> just runs together. It does. And, There's and no borders. One town has three names. And anyway, anyway, when we return, uh, we've got a special guest in the studio with us, Nate Wombold, who is with the RPM. Uh, what do we call that? The RPM Foundation. Foundation. Yes, mm-hmm. that sounds very formal. So anyway, when we return, we'll have Nate in the studio and we'll talk about the RPM Foundation and all things automotive. We'll see you in a minute. It's a museum. It's a showroom. It's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare custom and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE, or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783. Or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
We're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast from the Classic Auto Mall studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania, with our special guest, Nate Wombold, from the RPM Foundation in Allentown. Well, not in Allentown. It's based in, where is the RPM Foundation based? National, but uh, Chicago specifically. Chicago specifically. But you're in Allentown. Correct. Which is like the hub of classic cars all of a sudden. Not all of a sudden. I think it's probably been that more so. Longer than I realized it anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got Bulgari's place up there. You've got mm-hmm. the RB collection. You've got the, what's the, uh, American Wheels. American right Wheels. The street, yeah. And then you're there as well too. Mm-hmm. What else? Anything else going on up there that we need to know about? No, I just think what you said, it's a huge hub. Uh, I mean, the amount of shows that are there, um, consignment collections, private collections, you and I have been talking about and, and will in the future. I don't know if that will come up here, but, all this stuff going on in the area, it's it's just a really special place. And and the RPM Foundation is supportive of the restoration and preservation of the automobile, but specifically for the younger generation. Yes. Right? Trying, yes. To, trying to get those guys reeled into our hobby part in that. And so basically that's what it's doing. And so is it going – is there a specific age group that you're speaking to or is it anybody that's – under 18, or maybe that's the wrong age, but. Yeah, well, well, the focus of RPM, RPM has been around since 2005. It was actually begun by Haggerty. Right. I didn't know if you knew that. No. And eventually has changed names a couple of times and, and then, uh, has, has eventually become RPM Foundation. Right. Uh, so the focus is definitely the next generation. And the main reason for this, as I probably don't have to tell you, right. is we're facing a shortage of workers. Sure. For historic restoration, preservation, mm-hmm. and, and just even maintenance. Right. Um, they they did a study, a pretty extensive study of restoration shops, some 3,000 restoration shops in the country, wow. which gives you an idea. There's a lot of them, but probably fewer than you would think. Right. Uh, over 60% of them were looking for at least one full-time employee, mm. somewhat desperately looking for one. Sure. And the number of programs in the country that are turning out people with these skills, that number that they're graduating is about 100. So if wow. you do the math, right. you're looking for... To fill 1,600 jobs with 100 people. (laughs) So that's where RPM is centering its focus is on the next generation. That doesn't mean people want to change careers. We see that all the time. Uh, We certainly work with people who Mm -hmm. are interested in moving into historic restoration. It's not like you have to be under 25. But that's definitely the focus of that gap that exists, and RPM is attempting to fill that gap. Sure. Well, I've always said, or I've said for a long time, that shop classes and all that in high schools should have never gone away. There's nothing wrong with having a blue-collar type job. Most of our customers are blue-collar people that became successful, a plumber that had a plumbing business, a carpenter that made a frame. You know, we talk about this all the time. And it's, um, you know, those guys took shop classes in high school. They know how to work on their own car. They understand the mechanics of it. And to go to... From a career standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, do what you love. Absolutely. What are you going to go be, you know, a, a computer guy who d- does computer work all day behind a desk when you really want to be renting on cars? Right. Do what you love because you'll never work a day in your life if you do what you love. <laughs> or so they say. As they say. As yeah. they, they say. <laughs> so, um. They. Yeah, they. Whoever they are. Somebody, you always get called on it. You'll say, well, yeah, I well who that. said that? Yeah, who yeah. said that exactly? Any you know? statistics on that? I, I always say USA Today. Yeah. Although that's not they a good. They say everything, so. They, yeah. But that's not a good <laughs> reference anymore because USA Today is, yeah. is it even in existence? I guess it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, one of those questions that I keep asking that I don't know the answer to. 
<laughs> go, go to classic. Yeah, info at classicautomall dot com, and uh, you see can, the results. Uh, and, and, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I love the fact that there are programs though out there uh, for kids that are colleges now that uh, that have uh, restoration classes. Uh, I know that even the Concord Elegance is are entering in cars that were built by a restoration shop or a restoration right. school. Uh, and and giving them kind of preferential treatment to be in there when they normally wouldn't have allowed those cars in back right. in the day. So, yeah, the, the thing is, there are fewer and fewer of those dedicated programs for restoration. Obviously, there are tons of programs, and we need these for body work and for uh, regular auto tech maintenance and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Those are pretty prolific. Sure, and they're still struggling for students as well. There's a sure. real interesting situation happening in the in the workforce with that. But for these programs that are dedicated mm-hmm. specifically to restoration, which as you all know is a really different art. Mm-hmm. It's definitely an art. Yeah. Uh and it's a very different thing from going in and plugging in a computer to a modern car and having that be part of the process. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to demean that. That's right. really critical. Sure. Um, but there are fewer and fewer programs that are actually doing this. Mm-hmm. But you're right. And, and people are recognizing how critical those programs are and all the things that you mentioned about people's mm-hmm. passions. And, sure. and I, I don't think that, that many young people are aware of how many options are available to them. And that's Absolutely. one of the things that RPM is attempting to do is to bring to light mm-hmm. the validity of these careers and also the difference between being in historic restoration mm-hmm. and being in auto repair or auto body. Exactly. It's a it's a very different thing. And I've learned this secondhand, not having personally experienced a sure. career in restoration, but uh, it, it, you could tell right away that it's, it's a very different experience. Sure. Well, and I know that the number one question when we sell a car to most of our clients is, is well, where am I going to get it worked on? You know, you guys work exactly. on cars here and we don't. Right. Uh, kind of by design, you know, you, you got to focus on something. You want to be really, really good at something. You don't want to have all these ancillary parts that you do just because. Agreed. I'd rather yeah. you send your car to a shop that's set up to do it, that that's what they do is work on old cars, whether it's a Model A, 69 Camaro, uh, 77 Cadillac, whatever it is that, that is your fancy. But like you said, because modern, modern mechanics don't get their hands so dirty anymore. Right. You know, they're plugging right. in a computer. They're replacing this module with this module. And we were just talking about what are future collectible cars going to look like? Right. I mean, could you take a 2023 Mercedes and my God, the uh, hundreds of miles of, of wiring and everything that goes into it? I mean, that's going to be a tricky restoration come 25, 30, 40 years. From sure. Tonight. And we're talking about, we talked about before we went on, the throwaway generation. Yes. Our car is going to become throwaway. Sure. Right. A lot of them will, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I, I also think the analogy of the Bic pen. Right. Which is cheap, prolific, convenient, but it's meant to be thrown away. Yeah. Or you, lost you can't and you just get another one. You know? <laughs> yeah. But I, I have a pen that uh, my wife bought for me in college. And, I mean, this thing has been in existence for 30 years now. That's crazy. And I just keep replacing it. And I, and I love that stuff. And I know there's a sure. lot of people out there mm-hmm. who, who appreciate that and, and really get excited about the idea of preserving those things sure. because of the meaning they have. But every it's a tough slog right now because we're sure. kind of set up to buy and then throw away and exactly. then buy again. And this whole – restoration uh, culture is is the exact opposite. Yeah, of we're that. fixing broken things or yes. things that were, you know. And I remember, yeah. you know, as a kid, uh, older than a kid, just the fact that if you could make a big lighter last till it went empty, that was really that was like a yeah. monumental task. Right. Because you'd either lose it or, or somebody'd steal it from you or something would happen. But we were talking about televisions, you know, they say they only have a shelf life of three or four years. I got a flat screen in my office, been on for six years. Yeah. So, you know, maybe you know maybe that is, maybe it didn't. So from the restoration shot, do you work with restoration 
in shops to try to help them get employees, encourage them to get younger employees? How does that all fit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Our executive director, Nick Ellis, Mm -hmm. uh, who's stationed in Chicago, has great relationships across the country with top-notch restoration Mm -hmm. uh, facilities, uh, as well as education organizations. So we've actually, uh, RPM has distributed $3.5 million over its existence Mm -hmm. to programs that are a combination of internships, restoration projects, as well as the schools that are doing this. So we work with the individual shop owners. Mm -hmm. Uh, We even connect with with young people themselves who just express an interest in this. And so there's become an even stronger mentorship aspect through RPM. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, uh, it, and so we're supporting shops in the internship process. Right. And in a way, you're sort of, uh, you know, the challenge of matching people up. You've mm-hmm. got a young person who has this passion. Let's say they inherited it from their father or grandfather sure. and they've been working on cars, but they need the training, but they're in North Dakota. Right. And you got a great shop in Indiana. Right. And so we can bridge that gap and, and, and bring mm-hmm. people together. So even if anybody's listening to this podcast, we'll have information Absolutely. at the end. Get and I get 10% of, of whatever. Exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the but best, it's a 90-10 split. Right? <laughs> okay, right, right. But here's the thing. Think about this. Think about the guys who work at RM Restorations up in Canada, who RM yeah. uh, auctions, RM Sotheby's auctions. Those guys are making serious money. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're making, you know, those guys can make quarter million dollars a year, some of the right. best guys in the hobby. So it's not, you know, people kind of look down their nose at people that work on cars or that do things like that, and they shouldn't because, A, it's admirable that you do understand those kind of things and work with your hands and can fabricate things, and, B, it pays pretty damn well. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, nothing to, to sneeze at. So mm-hmm. do you work with – how do you – how do you reach the, the high school kids? How do you get to them to, to let them know that this is an option? How yeah, does that well, happen? a huge part of it that has recently been storytelling right. and beginning to highlight the restorers themselves. We have a restorers award that's been given at a number of different concourses mm-hmm. throughout the country, and that's been a great development to highlight sort of the the pinnacle of those people who've achieved that art in their mm-hmm. career. Right. That's one. And then telling the stories of the young people that we have placed over the years in internships mm-hmm. or in, in uh, new jobs, sharing their story, because probably the best thing to get a young person interested in a particular career I, here's this is something I maybe I'm not supposed to say as much as those nobody's of us, listening. It's okay. <laughs> turn your microphones off. But th- those of us who are starting to age or are aged think that if we just showed up, our success and the accomplishments that we've made will motivate every young person to want to be like like this. But I come from a university background, right. and the reality is that if you can get a 22, 23, mm-hmm. 24 year old up in front of 16, 17, 18 year olds, they make that connection much quicker because exactly. they see themselves. They're thinking, the kids are thinking two to three years ahead. Right. Not, yeah, not 520. Yeah. I mean, the idea of, we're, I'm ancient. Right. You know, exactly. and I, I'm only a year younger than you or so, probably, right. Stuart, I would imagine. Uh, but. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you're really buttering me up now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, please bequeath your entire collection to me here. But, um. Here, I'm writing it down as yes. we speak. So. Yeah, put Nate Womble in the will. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think, so what we, and a lot of social media. Yeah. That's the other thing. And so, uh, you know, we, we're on TikTok now. We are, too. uh, you know, and so you can, you can find us there, but, but general social media, uh, and that's not a, you know, I don't think there's, this is the thing. I think a lot of times we think, oh, social media is the silver bullet for all mm-hmm. things. And these kids that are on their phones all the time, 
But I still have, you know, I've got three kids, uh, uh, two of whom are super car crazy. Right. And literally this morning before I came to this podcast, I said to my son, I'm coming to do this podcast. Right. W- what's it about? And I gave him a couple of my cards because he's got some friends sure. who love cars and are interested in that. So it, it, is it social media that right. will get attention? Absolutely. Sure. But I still think word of mouth and relationships right. are the way that this is going to uh, going to grow. Yeah, absolutely. Because we see it here all the time. We see a father bring in his son and show him the ropes of, a, of the classic car world and point out all the different cars that dad knows, which is impressive to the son. Dad mm-hmm. knows about all these cars. How does dad know? All? Well, I never knew dad knew all this. Yeah. Um, and, and that, so social media is great when you can look at pretty pictures and, you know, watch a, a nine second video because apparently that's the attention space. It's that MTV generation, which right, is so right. dated when I say that. <laughs> Makes me MTV really what? Sad. Yeah. What? <laughs> the music, television, all reality video? shows. Yeah. Now. Come on. But, you know, it's, it's amazing to watch that happen and to watch the parent like showing them. And the best is when the kids walk in as if they're on their perp walk with their hands behind their back to be handcuffed uh, or to not touch the cars, which is fantastic is what, you know, we ideally want is we're happy to show them the car. We're happy to let them sit in the car. We're, as long as they're with us and with one of our car specialists, we're happy to do all that. But you can't just take it on your own and you got to teach kids respect first and foremost. Right. Once you teach them that, then the rest of it's kind of easy. I yeah. think, you know, that, that's the problem that we lack. We don't have any teachers. And I don't mean teachers in school. I mean te- family teachers. You don't have a father passing down wisdom to a son. You don't have a mother passing down wisdom to a son or a daughter. You, you don't have that interaction with the people that are closest to you because everybody's busy and on their phones and working and you go to dinner and everybody's staring at their phone. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. that doesn't do any good. The word of mouth stuff is the way to go with anything, I think. And I'm going to fight for a resurgence of word of mouth. That's my goal. I'm with you, life. Stuart. I am with you on that. <laughs> Thank you, Nate. Anyway, when we return, uh, we'll be back with our, our conversation with Nate Wombold uh, from the RPM Foundation. Don't forget to catch us on all the uh, available podcast uh Outlets, iHeartRadio, Google, Apple, Amazon, Pandora, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Podcasting, and wherever else you get your podcast. We'll talk to you in a couple of minutes. Bye. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back with the Classic Automall Podcast from the Classic Automall Studio. Don't forget to visit our website. We were just talking about we had 14,900 visitors yesterday. I'd like to have more car sales if that's going to happen. <laughs> 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 Do you have to say <laughs> WWW anymore? No. 
How about just ClassicAutoMall.com? You can visit us there. Info at Classic Auto Mall if you have a question. If you've got a question on the show, it's podcast at Classic Auto Mall. So it's pretty simplistic. Uh, sitting here with Nate, we were talking earlier uh, about Car and Driver Magazine, how that used to be our go-to mm-hmm. publication. You couldn't wait for it to come in the mail. We had Brock, Brock Yates. Junior on uh, the show a couple of weeks ago and talking about his dad, who was a legendary writer for Car and Driver. But man, oh man, it just kind of—I mean, it's still there, right? Car and Driver's still yeah. around, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Road and Track and Motor Trend, I guess. I get well, they have Motor Trend TV now, right? But uh, boy, oh boy, oh boy, it was exciting times with that. And I don't know that. Um, I think we we have so much more information today. We were talking about social media and things like that. That. When you get a magazine in, there's not anything really new. You've seen all that, you know. There's nothing revealing, right? What were the the old car days when they put uh, uh, brown paper on the windows when the new cars? Right, <laughs> and yeah. then they'd reveal it. You Perhaps, know, it was always yeah. September. Usually, I guess September's when the new cars came out uh, back in the day. You don't have that, so you know. How do we get back to the analog world? Is the question. You know, and that's working on cars, like what RPM's trying to do. I mean, yeah, you know. yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. But you're right, the, the overall cultural direction mm-hmm. is, in certain ways, I think, is away from analog. Although right. we see all these examples of resurgence, I mean, in the watch community mm-hmm. and in uh, vinyl, people's interest in vinyl. Sure. Um, I was reading an article. I mean, I still uh, collect and use cassettes. Right. Because they remind me of the medium that was when I was growing right, up. Right, right. Um, and, and some people were speculating, will that come back? They think it won't. But, right. um, yeah, I think it's all related. And and, and when I was reading, um, I really learned about cars. I didn't grow up in a car family. Right. But uh, Car and Driver taught me about cars. I'm with you. The whole language of cylinders, compression, mm-hmm. displacement, that was like Greek to me. Mm-hmm. But I had this fascination because of some friends in high school who had great cars. Mm-hmm. And I just started reading and absorbing that. And you're right. That was my main informational medium but it was right. also very entertaining right and very engaging and it was really well written mm-hmm. you know and and so i come from a, actually an english education background right. so that cannot be uh, underrated these days sure. the quality of writing in those things is a huge part of we conveying the love of that we don't see that anymore i read news articles and they're just horribly written mm-hmm. i mean they're, they're grammatical errors and 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 they they have a headline that don't even address it in the body of the the article or they just don't they they start talking about a person that they've given you no reference to whom they are and uh it's like what happened and you know there's a craft to writing it's just like there's a craft to restoring cars i mean watch a guy with an english wheel shape a fender i mean that's impressive that's yeah. really impressive that guys do that and that's a hands on i don't know that a computer could ever do that i mean to no. some degree they can they can make things but to get that particular look or particular feel of something, I think it's it has to be done by hand. Yeah, I think that's an important thing, too. There's a cerebral aspect, mm-hmm. a significant cere- cerebral aspect right. to restoration. Right. And that's another thing you were talking earlier about shop classes going away and a lot of the stigmas and stereotypes mm-hmm. of that. You know, especially restoration. I mean, these are these are craftsmen. These are artists. The process involves research. It involves documentation. And and these individuals are becoming a part of the history of mm-hmm. the vehicle. Sure, that's that's a significant heady stuff. Sure. So when we try to separate out the academic ideas and even liberal arts concepts mm-hmm. uh, 
from th- this culture, it, it doesn't work. Right. So I think this idea of a binary, like, are you a hands-on person or are you an academic person? Right. There is a lot of crossover mm-hmm. in sure. those things. And a lot of us, I think, uh, represent that. Right. Uh, so, so I think we have to conjoin more of those things. And you're right. The field of auto restoration is one of the ideal examples of that mm-hmm. because it's, Definitely hands on. You gotta have technical skill. Right. But you also, if you're saying, you know, I absolutely can't think or concentrate for more than 10 seconds, you're cooked. Yeah. It's yeah, not, not going to for you then, yeah, right? Not going to work for yeah. you. You know, and, and, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, you think about the talent that's out there, the guys that, that do this for a living that are, like you said, they're artists because just because people think that everything is on the internet and it's not. You, right. When you say doing research for these guys do, that's not just Googling something. That's yeah. books and automobile quarterly and, and books that, you know, came out 50, 60 years ago that you still can't find on the internet. Not everything is there and not everything there is correct. You know, that's just right. because it says so doesn't mean it is so. Yes. You know? <laughs> that's why I, I mean, I love this work because I think undergirding all this, it's, it, it, it shows the value of, if, if you will, analog culture. Mm-hmm. And I'm an analog dude. Sure. You know, you and I think there's, there's more and more analog folks out there. Uh, and I think, cause you're right. So you, you, you have to have the human capacity to distinguish between what's true and what's not true mm-hmm. in your research or accurate, inaccurate. Right. And sometimes that means going back to original manuals. There's a historical element of that. Sure. And so that this whole thing, it all works together in, in a very sort of analog fashion. Absolutely. And people weren't as big of liars back then either. <laughs> or at least we like to think so, right? We like to think yeah, so. They, they were more honest in the 20s and 30s when they <laughs> wrote this stuff. I can tell you, though, that I have books in my office that I research on a pretty regular basis yeah. because – it's not out there, you know. Right. A lot of the Shelby stuff that that the uh, uh, Shelby American Automobile Club um, puts out, and the books that they put out, it's fantastic, and it's nowhere to be found online. You right. can't find where CSX twenty one thirty three is and was and will be. Uh, you have to go on there, and then there's decoding books for like the American cars nineteen fifty through fifty nine, sixty through sixty nine. A lot of that stuff you you can find, but it's inaccurate. Right. You know, you'll see the information, wrong information. And people, you know, you got to read between the lines and you got to be educated enough to know what's right and what's wrong. Right. And that's the problem with headlines and Facebook and social media. I don't say I'm not picking on Facebook. Don't kick me off. Um, social media in general is that, you, you know, you can't get your news from a headline, you know, because they can say anything that they want in the headline. But that doesn't mean that it's it's actually what they're going to delve into, A, and B, if it's even true or not. Right. You know, how many things do we see that we find out that are not true mm-hmm. on there? So if you look at the automotive restoration business, you know, it's hard to teach in a book how to uh, measure and, and, and attach leather to a seat. Right. You know, how do you do that? I mean, you, you got to show somebody how to do that and you got to right. have them understand it uh, uh, analogly. <laughs> yeah. And I think, again, there's where the relationship comes mm-hmm. in, because as you mentioned, you know, as you were alluding to earlier, a lot of uh, car appreciation came through the family unit. Sure. You know, it was dad, it was an uncle, it was a relative or a cousin or something like that. And similarly, I think the the knowledge of how this is going to be passed down, there's some academic aspect to it for sure. sure. But a lot of it is going to be me with you, Stuart, mm-hmm. and you, Stuart, saying I'm willing to teach Nate and this is how we do it. And we're spending time together and there's a lot of pouring into that individual. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's that's going to be a critical part of it. And the though RPM has for a long time been funding different programs mm-hmm. that are out there, um, uh, and, and we intend to continue that work. 
in the future, there will be the opportunity for us, even in this region, to be exploring an apprenticeship program that would be specifically geared for this work. So it would not be a college program right. uh, per se, obviously. Right. Uh, but to, to do those very kinds of things, mm-hmm. to have a top-notch restoration apprenticeship program where these skills are taught by master craftsmen in an environment that has both of these academic and sure. these personal aspects and all the things that are necessary. Uh, so it is a delicate uh, infrastructure that has to be created right. for these skills to be passed on. But that's why we call them endangered skills because right, right. they're not easy. Yeah, and exactly. most things that are hard are worth doing. And, so. and restoration is not an exact science. There's not an exact right or wrong answer. There's there's different elements to it. There's different ways to skin a cat, if you will, the way that you do something that you get to the end result. But I mean, perfection is in the eye of the beholder. You know, right. it's not that uh, you can say, well, that it, it's hard to critique, critique somebody's restoration because in their mind they did it maybe perfectly. Yeah. So we see cars all the time that a that a that a person did in their garage, mm-hmm. and you're floored. You're yeah, like, oh right. my god! And then you see ones that are not so good, but you know the guy put his heart and soul into it. Oh yeah, you know, it's his yeah. pride and joy, right. you know. And that's the thing, and that's the the passion of this hobby works whether it's a five thousand dollar car or a five million dollar car, right? Or fifty million. I guess is the yeah. the yeah. upper echelon of what the Ferrari at uh, Monterey, the Bonhams has this year is a P three or a P four Ferrari is going to go for forty million dollars. I mean. Is that any better of a car than an 85 El Camino? Right. I mean, yes, of course. Yes, I mean, yes. In, in collectability, uh, obviously it is, because if you bought an 85 El Camino in 85 and bought a P4 Ferrari in 1985, one would be significantly more valuable than the other. Sure. Right? Yeah. But we always say your pride and joy is our pride and joy. You know, if it's something that you're passionate about. Yeah. And, you know, being in the radio business, we talk about this all the time. You know, I used to be in the radio business, and people would call in and tell us what they wanted to hear, and we'd make fun of them. We'd say, oh, those hillbillies. Leonard Skinner, we played Leonard Skinner, and we're not playing anymore. These guys don't know what they're talking about. They do know what they're talking about because they were our audience. Yeah, right, right. So if you you got to know your audience, and that's the same thing with Classic Automall. What we do here is we have 900-something cars, so we can cover pretty much any base that you're looking for, whatever price right. point, whatever type of segment of the hobby. Do you focus at RPM? Is there a focus on any particular segment of the hobby? Is there a, or is it just naturally gravitate toward a particular segment of the hobby? No, it's, and that's the thing is that the, if you have a restoration shop that focuses on one particular vehicle, Mm -hmm. then you've narrowed that. And so, the breadth of knowledge becomes it's it's still very deep, right. but it's not as wide as as what most restoration shops have, which is where they're catering to a variety of vehicles. Everything. So that's the thing. So I think the good part is that the niche of RPM is specific uh, to restoration. Right. So we're focusing in on that like a laser beam. However, that training still has to be broad enough where you're bringing people in, and so you're working on Fords, you're working on potentially not that all these shops mix, but you right. may be working on a variety of European vehicles, a variety of American mm-hmm. vehicles, and so forth, and that takes a great skill set. And again, a lot of these, going back to the manuals and that sort of thing, there's also a huge amount of uh, question about parts, mm-hmm. availability of parts, interacting with people across the globe to get these parts, and then in, in times then needed for for fabrication. Sure, because yeah. you don't have the parts. You're just they make, make the parts, you know, <laughs> from and scratch. So, and and the, the level of patience that that requires oh is God. again, you talk about the difference between modern culture. I mean, to say to a particular potential employee, okay, you may be working on this trim piece for forty hours this right. week. You know, <laughs> it takes a certain kind of individual. They're out there though. 
Yeah. And, and they are fueled by that, by, sure. by being able to focus in on that very specifically. But patience is not necessarily a, uh, patience is an endangered skill as well. Exactly. In addition to all the knowledge. Because we're ready to go, 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 go. Exactly. You know, and, and the worst part about it is, you know, is that the impatience doesn't work very well in this hobby. Um, because if you're impatient, there are not always logical paths to things. But, you know, you got to remember, too, restoring a 69 Camaro, where there's a gazillion pages of information right. out there, versus a one-off 1933 Duesenberg, yes. you know, is night and day difference, because there may be nothing out there on the Duesenberg. You've got to talk about research. I mean, you've got to spend as much time, probably, and money researching the car as you do as actually restoring the car. I mean, how the guys at RM, and I, I don't mean to keep harping on them, but they just have a pretty impressive restoration shop mm-hmm. uh, yeah. that's won a lot of uh, best in class at Pebble Beach, which is not nothing. Um, you know, those guys must be seriously historically minded people to be able to research, to be able to find that information when it's almost like finding a needle in a haystack. Sure. You know, so, yeah. um, so, uh, tell us about your website. What's the website that they can go to for the RPM? Foundation? Very, very easy. RPM.foundation. God, I'm not even throwing a w- I'm not throwing a www in front of that, you know. Uh, and as far as, uh, and you can find this on there, but, uh, send us a note at info at RPM Foundation. That gets you in our system and you'll get a response if you're interested in learning more and in, in hearing more about it. If you know of young people, uh, that you think should be, uh, turned on to this, um, donations, you. You, I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think the question that every collector should be who's listening to this should be asking him or herself is, who's going to care for these vehicles? Yeah. And if you're frustrated by turnaround times when you're taking a vehicle in, uh, if you're you're looking for a great craftsman and you can't find one, um, we're an organization you should be thinking about Absolutely. philanthropically right. because we are the one who will be doing the work to provide the next generation of these individuals. So, uh, yeah, certainly financial support, but there's a lot of ways that you can be involved. We've got a ton of ambassadors and a great opportunity for people. Fantastic. When we return, we'll finish the conversation with Nate from the RPM Foundation. We'll see you in a couple minutes. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information or to receive a quote, Contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast from the Classic Auto Mall studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania on a neutral day. We're not going to tell you if it's sunny or it's cloudy or not because we're not supposed to talk about the weather ever. I don't know why, but 
I've been told that. So I'm a listener. I'm an absorber of all of this. So we're joined with, uh, by Nate Wombold from the RPM Foundation and, uh, and you all have an involvement with America's Automotive Trust as well too. Now what is, what is that all about? What's the connection there? With- well, America's Automotive Trust was founded to preserve and protect America's automotive heritage right. and to drive that into the future. And so, uh, they, we have a lot of national connections with different organizations and, uh, a number of different initiatives Initiatives across the country right. in order to accomplish that mission. And RPM is the educational arm of that. And so specifically in this region, this is what my work is right. uh, related to RPM. Uh, but America's Automotive Trust is sort of the uh, fuel behind that, which is another organization people can get involved with and learn more about. Absolutely. And LeMay Museum is a big integral part of all this, Absolutely. Right? Harold yes. and Nancy LeMay build a collection of, what, yes. 3,500 cars? Amazing museum <laughs> on the West Coast in yeah. Tacoma, Washington. Right. America's Car Museum, yeah, and that really was uh, the genesis of America's Automotive Trust. Yeah, we went. We were at a dinner not too long, you and I, uh, in, uh, at the RV collection in Allentown, and, and Nancy LeMay was there. Yes. She's a character. She's fantastic. God, yeah. I love people. Just that honest, you know, no BS. Just, you know, this is what it is. She's not pretentious at all. And they had, plenty, you know, it wasn't as if they weren't, you know, extremely wealthy and all that. But you'd never know it. She just seems so down to earth. And, you know, more people should take a lesson from that. You know, this 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 miter than thou generation that seems to be. God, I really sound old when I say this stuff. <laughs> but it's Stuart, true. anytime you want me to come in here for you to complain, I am here. I'm a listening ear. Yes, yes, yes. I know. My wife just says, will you just stop talking for a few minutes? Just let's have some silence. So, um, you know, it, it, the LeMay Museum is something that could have easily been kind of torn apart and disbanded. And, you know, all the cars went separate ways at a big auction and it would be world record prices on everything and all that. And I'm so glad that it did. You know, that happened with the, uh, Harris collection. Uh, they took it down to what about 200 cars now and they had 1400 cars. That's the one in, uh, in Nevada. Reno. Yeah. Yeah. Reno. yeah. I've actually been there. Yeah. And, uh, it was unfortunate because they had the, you know, world Bill Hara had the world's largest, um, car collection at the time. I think it was 11 or 1200 cars or something crazy like that. And of course he had Harris, Casinos, which is where he, you know, got a lot of money to do all this and buy all these cars. He had one of the coolest vehicles ever. He had a Girari, which was a Jeep with a V12 Ferrari engine and a Jeep <laughs> like a Wagoneer in the late sixties with a. It was all Ferrari. stock. I yeah, presume, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. It was actually in Car and Drivers where I first saw it. Was yeah, it? Oh, okay. Yeah. So coming full circle. Thank you very back much. Back to Car and Drivers. Uh, back to Car and Drivers. Somehow that happened. I'd, I'd like a little cut from Car and Drivers' latest profit statement. So. Um, and he had this collection that was amazing. And Bill Harrow was a promoter as much as he was anything. You know, Harrow's casinos were considered the first of the upscale casinos. And I know that a lot of the entertainers would play there back in the day, not because he paid the most, because he didn't. He usually paid less. But when you played at Harrow's in Reno, you got a glass house on Lake Tahoe. You got a chauffeured Rolls Royce. You had a chef, a masseuse, a boat. You know, you had I mean, it's all the these amenities, perks the that perks it, right? that it's like, we'll play there for yeah. a little less money because mm-hmm. it's such a, you know, such a, a, a wonderful perks that stuff. I always say that the most valuable stuff in the world is stuff you can't buy, that you can only experience, you know, backstage at a concert that you really can't go buy a ticket to go backstage. Although I guess you can nowadays, if you have enough money, you can hire the Rolling Stones to come play your birthday party and it's $3 million or something. Right. But, uh, you know, with all the wealth in this country, as you were alluding to earlier, it's important that we remember about these cars and, and what it means and what it means to, for the ownership, because the ownership is you're just a steward, not a steward, 
but a steward with a D, of these cars. And at some point in time, they're going to go to somebody else. And so you have to maintain them properly, and you have to do all these things. Otherwise, don't buy them. You know, don't go buy a, a 31 or a 33 Duesenberg if you're not going to take care of it. If you're not going to make sure that that car is in pristine condition when it's time for it to go to its next home, right? And that's so important. And I think that it's it's easy for people to forget that because when I'm dead and gone, who cares, you know? And that's not the case. It shouldn't be that way. It should be that you're preserving this car for the next person to take it on its next journey. And with the history and the documentation nowadays, it's so important that everybody save. I always tell people save every piece of paper mm. that comes with the car, no matter how insignificant it seems. Because when it's time to do a restoration, right. that information is so important. And these cars, some of these have been restored multiple times. Mm-hmm. You, know, you think about a car that was restored in the 80s. Uh, that was a different there was different processes. There was different. Uh, the whole scenario was completely different. And now, when you restore a car, the way you can document it with you know the phones that we have and the ability. I mean, remember taking pictures and having to take them to the one hour, you know, the photo mat or a little booth outside the supermarket. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to try to bring those back. I think yeah. it's important. Well, they do now. They just sell hot dogs. Right. right? You run around, you get a quick all beef hot dog. Yeah, hopefully all beef. You know, it's um, you know, technology has changed and in a lot of ways in bad ways, but a lot of ways in good ways. I mean, I get guys who bring me photo albums of their restoration of pictures that they took or digital files of them on a thumb drive. And it's amazing. I mean, there's 5,000 pictures. And that's what they teach. I mean, that's one of the things that the restoration shops, I think, are are trying to teach the, you know, the kids and the kids who are coming into it and, and their clients is about the documentation right. of it. You should spend just as much money as documenting as you should on the actual car itself. Absolutely, which I think connects with the whole idea of being a steward, Right, that you are a part of that stewardship process. Right. And what a great message for young people, the concept of stewardship. Right. I mean, for a lot of things that we want to make sure are indoctrinated properly into mm-hmm. young people, the concept of being a steward of something is uh is really valuable sure and i think and, and it's so fun that cars do that right and, and many young people are naturally drawn to cars for a variety of reasons so we have this built-in opportunity to talk with them about sure. that and uh but the, yeah these restorers that that's actually a huge part of the process as i understand it is right. teaching people that you're a steward but also the documentation and mm-hmm. the idea that that will live on historically for as long as that is able to be in existence sure. is is a pretty compelling argument to be part of restoration exactly whether you're the owner the purchaser or the, or the one who's doing the actual mm-hmm. work on the vehicle and automobiles are way different than collecting like if you collect pennies you don't really have to do anything to them. You yeah. just put them in a thing. <laughs> they're, they're fine. Cars are so completely different. They have fluids that go yeah. in them. They have material, all different, you know, steel and leather and soul yeah. and, and a heartbeat and, you know, all that stuff. And so it's a lot different. It requires more effort. Right. You know, I have people that I know that collect cars that do not take good care of them, that are they're sitting on cold floors and they shouldn't be left like they're left. And it's a shame to see them and they're dirty and they're not and, and there's just no attention paid to them. And it's it, what is it? A quantity thing? You just, oh, let me see how many cars I can get. You don't want to do that. Now, our cars are like that from our barn find collection because they're that's the way we found them and we want to preserve them like that. Right. Barn finds are a different animal. A restored car that's been saved should continue to be saved, even if it requires another restoration 20 or 30 years later, right? Because you'll know that the difference between restoring one to, in 80 and 2023 is night and day, right? And I think that as long as we continue preaching, preaching, preaching about this, 
then hopefully it will continue to happen. And with organizations like yours, we, you know, that's, that's why we have to support what you guys are doing. So thank you. you. Know, yeah. We're, we're happy to do it. And uh, hopefully uh, uh, we'll get it. You know, we, we have kids who come in here and we were talking about, you know, how they understand the process of not touching the cars and, and that kind of thing. And we want to create something for the kids that a button or something that they can wear when they go to any automotive event that says, you know, I'm a certified kid, car, whatever. And that recognizes them as understanding that you don't touch a car without permission, without the owner telling you to, or don't sit in it, or you don't run around the cars, and you're not, you know, you're not doing things that are are, are, are not conducive and, and not being respectful of the cars, because they just, they can be, you know, that things can happen. We've seen scratches on cars at car shows. You know, it's such a shame that you see a guy's car show sitting there and somebody rubs a belt buckle up against it or right. something, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. And it happens sometimes accidentally, but sometimes it's because people weren't taught. Right. Yeah. And I think also, uh, the, for, for the collectors, for the car owners, you know, going back again to these automotive journals we used to, to read, um, I, I read an article that was focused on, collectors introducing the next generation and the writer made a really strong case for you know if you're driving a ferrari and you pull up at a gas station mm-hmm. and a kid shows interest give him a chance give her a chance to sit in the car right. and to experience that so we talk so much about how do we cha- train the next generation and to be respectful around the cars but what are we doing for the collectors sure to train them how to do that you hear yeah. a lot of complaining about oh this generation doesn't know this and doesn't right. know that well maybe we have to offer some more support to the collectors to yeah. say here's some ways that you can bring and it's intimidating these younger sure. folks with their phones walking around sure. uh, but I think that's another thing we can do is to, to think more directly about how we reach the next generation and I know mm-hmm. a lot of people are doing that many museums are working to bring Absolutely. younger folks in car Absolutely. collector clubs and mm-hmm. that sort of thing but I think concerted effort on both parts of people to figure out how do we get the, the two generations talking together? Mm-hmm. And I think what well, you're doing at Classic Auto Mall is a great example of that sure. because people can come in here at no cost, right? right. They can sh- take a look around. They can step into the cars and see and smell, which mm-hmm. is really critical, the smell of what Absolutely. is in there. Uh, so this is, I think, a great place for people to come to experience that. Right. Uh, and, and I think organizations like ours – or an opportunity to actually put shoe leather to a lot of these ideas. Absolutely, because we can all talk about it, but right. you know, it's got to. You actually got to do something. Got to do about it. it. Do you yeah. want to complain or you yeah. want to do something? Yeah, that's you know? exactly and that's right. Why we're here. And I love the fact of like pulling up to a gas station because anytime you pull up to a gas station, if you're in an old car or a Ferrari or something cool, people are going to talk to you. Yes. And you know what? Take the time. Don't be so bothered. Don't be. You know, golf courses used to be like that back in the day. You'd walk into a golf country club and they just look at you know. If you're not a member, why are you, you here? Know, why are you here? And you felt intimidated. And same with car dealerships back in the 80s. I remember when I lived in Los Angeles and I'd go into a car dealership and they'd look at me like, you know, and look, I'm just trying to learn. You know, weren't you me at one point in time? Exactly. Well, remember that. That's right. So, by golly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we solved it all here, Stuart. I we think got, we absolutely Everything is good. Everything's good. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, Nate, it was such a pleasure to have you absolutely. on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you very and, much. Uh, yeah, uh, once again, your website is? Uh, oh, our website is rpm.foundation. Dot .foundation. Good. Go on their website and uh, you can ask questions. You can sign up to do things. There's a myriad of things you can do on there. And our website, of course, is classicautomall.com, so don't forget that. And uh, next time you're in the area, come see us and uh, visit our friends over at the uh, Hollywood Casino in Morgantown as well, too. So you can make a whole day of it. And go to the Shady Maple for a big old buffet. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time on the Classic Auto Mall podcast. See ya. 
You've been listening to the Classic Auto Mall Podcast with your host, Stuart Howden, executive producer, Steve Safir, produced and engineered by yours truly, J.R. Russ. Thanks for listening and sharing the Classic Auto Mall Podcast, available on ClassicAutoMall.com, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Music, courtesy of the Pat Travers Band, produced by Car Smarts Media, copyright 2023, all rights reserved. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.